0: Welcome
1: to the BearCast Media Bengals Podcast. I'm Justin Cash and alongside Alex Frank. It's uh, been a while since we've talked to you guys, but we are finally back. It's been a few weeks into uh, NFL free agency. Our Bengals have made some moves. And uh, Alex, how are we feeling right now? I mean, you know, we've had some time to kind of digest what the Bengals have done in free agency and also what they haven't done, um, you know, through the last couple weeks. What have you thought so far? How are you feeling? And, uh, you know, what's your expectations?
0: Going into next year. Well, first
2: of all, Justin, it's great to be back. Haven't been, uh, haven't recorded a podcast in quite some time. It's good to be back. Uh, I feel good about what the Bengals have done. I feel like they've addressed some areas of need. Obviously, there's still one area that I still think they need to address, which we all know that's the offensive line. But the good news is they're off to a solid start, signing Riley Reef, which was a, a nice addition to the team. And, um, it's not just what it's not just the, the free agent signings, Justin, it's the fact that they Players that have left, and obviously you're not happy to see them go, but at the same time, you're seeing that this team is fully investing and in going into a younger direction in terms of the roster. Not having to pay guys like A.J. Green, Bobby Hart, and Geno Atkins and getting younger with guys like Larry Oak and Joby, with Riley Reef, who may not be younger than Bobby Hart, but still. And then you think about wide receiver fully investing in T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and just getting younger and, and having guys leave who were not going to be integral parts to the team. So it's been a productive week in terms of acquiring and reshaping the roster for the Bengals. And then um, beefing up the parts of the defense that needed some depth like corner. They just got another safety last night in Ricardo Allen from the Falcons, which should be a nice addition to a pretty talented safety room led by Jesse Bates. So I like what the Bengals have done. I do think they need to do a little bit more. And as we'll hear from your recent conversation with Tyler Dragon, I think he agrees with that.
1: Yeah, you just alluded to, you know, the interview I did with Tyler Dragon, uh, writer for the Cincinnati Inquirer, you know, he had a lot to say about, um, you know, obviously the Cincinnati Bengals for agency, and um, you know, there's definitely some moves that he thought were really good, some moves that he thought were, you know, kind of questionable, and some, you know, very surprising to him. Um, you know, one of those is uh, Carl Lawson. You'll hear later his opinion and thoughts on that, but you know, something that I think the Bengals have done, and we'll get more into this after we listen to the interview. Um, you know, they added a lot of depth to a lot of the uh, you know positions that they didn't have last year, particularly particularly the secondary, especially corner. Um, you think about games last year, like the first Steelers game in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, you have Mackenzie Alexander go down in the first quarter, I believe. Um, it was William Jackson, or it was Darius Phillips, who I believe didn't play that game, and you're down to your quarterback five and six. Uh, you know, playing in those games. And, you know, I think that's something that the Bengals really wanted to emphasize for next season is, you know, if a guy goes down or maybe even two guys go down, we're going to have guys that are going to be able to step up and play immediately, guys that we feel comfortable, um, you know, putting out on the field and, you know, don't think that we're going to give up a lot of talent, um, you know, the drop off wise. So, you know, Tyler Dragon had a lot to say about that. He thought, uh, you know, I think he thought that those, that was some really good, uh, you know, those were really good moves as far as the Bengals. Uh, getting those corners so if you want to roll that we'll uh, listen to that a little bit and then we'll talk about the interview and then
2: some more about trade and uh, after we listen to that absolutely so this was uh justin's conversation with the cincinnati Inquirer bengals beat writer tyler dragon on what the bengals had done up to that point justin you did this on saturday right correct okay so this was My on
0: conversation with him from
2: saturday This was on Saturday. This was before some key players were let go. Geno Atkins was released on Sunday. Um, Same too with Bobby Hart. So, lots happened since this interview, but also a lot happened leading up to the interview. So, here is Justin Cashman with the Cincinnati Inquirer Bengals beat reporter Tyler Dragon on Bengals free agency.
3: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the BearCast Media Bengals podcast. I am Justin Cashman, joined today by Mr. Tyler Dragon, Cincinnati Inquirer writer since 2019, former track and field star at UCLA and Howard University. You can catch his podcast, Bengals Beat Podcast, with Lindsey Patterson and Kareem Elgazar on Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. How are you doing today, Tyler?
4: I'm doing pretty good. It's a nice Saturday outside. The weather's pretty good. It feels kind of like springtime now, so... I'm
0: glad it's not snowing anymore. Being a California guy, I'm not used to the snow, so
4: this weather is more of my liking.
3: (laughs) What's the temperature? Because I was, you know, I'm in Florida right now, so it's, I mean, it's 50 degrees here, and that's freezing to me, but up north, you know, 50 degrees feels amazing in Cincinnati. Well, speak for yourself, because 50 degrees is still kind
4: of cold to me, but it is in the 50s, which, you know, I can't complain about, because, you know, last month it was in the 30s, snowing a little bit. Now I I can do the fifties; it's not too unbearable. Yeah, that's good. Seventies, seventies is my liking. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's
3: good. Seventies is kind of the sweet spot. Well, Tyler, you said you've been pretty busy. I know the uh, uh, press conferences for all press conferences for all the new free agents were uh, yesterday. So you know, so far, you've had any like surprises through free agency? I, I don't know if necessarily the Bengals have done anything that we didn't expect them to do. Uh, But, you know, as far as letting guys like Carl Lawson walk or William Jackson, any surprises there? You know, what's been good and what's been bad so far through free agency for the Bengals? Well, I was expecting them to let William
4: Jackson walk. He uh, was one of the top corners in the open market, and he was going to command significant cash. And he ended up getting that from the Washington football team. It was kind of a Trey Wayne type deal. So he got number one corner money. And the Bengals already paid Trey Wayne's last year, even though he did not play because he got uh, hurt because of a pectoral injury in training camp. They gave him number one corner money. So the Bengals weren't going to pay two cornerbacks number
0: one type corner money. So I was expecting him to walk. As far as Carl Lawson,
4: that was a bit of a surprise. I knew they weren't going to franchise tag him. That number was a little bit too rich for their liking. However, I did think that both sides were going to have an agreement on a long-term deal. Uh, it was surprising that he ended up signing with the New York Jets. Uh, the Bengals signed, uh, as we know, Trey Hendrickson to replace Carl Lawson as an edge rusher. I happen to think Carl Lawson is a little bit better player. However, in Lou Anarumo's system, the Bengals' defensive coordinator... I think Trey
0: Hendrickson will fit a little bit better because he's more of a traditional 4-3 defensive end, push your hands in the dirt. Carl Lawson is a little bit of a
4: tweener. Um, he can play a little bit outside linebacker, edge rusher, and defensive end, but he's a li- little bit on the small side for a defensive end. Um, however, he uses his speed really well to get by offensive tackles and rush quarter. As far as the other free agents, uh, Chadobe, Awuzier, that, um, I don't think it was a surprise that Bengals needed another cornerback to replace, uh, William Jackson, who we just talked about. So that was a pretty good pickup. Um, number one tight corner, uh, better served as a number two. Um, he had an okay career in, uh, Dallas, uh, last year, kind of had an up and down season due to injuries and was even a reserve COVID list for one game. And then Mike Hilton, I think that was a really good addition for the Bengals. Um, he's going to replace McKenzie Alexander in the slot. Uh, I happen to think Mike Hilton is probably a little bit better than McKenzie, uh, Alexander. So the Bengals did get a little bit of upgrade there and replacing veteran defensive tackle, Geno Atkins, uh, is going to be Larry, uh, Abin- Joby. I'm going to push that name so many. It's a tongue twister. Um, Yes, but he's uh, played the Bengals a few times. He has experience in the AFC North. Um, He's a pretty good um, interior, three technique, defensive tackle. Um, The Bengals, they're losing some with Geno Atkins because Geno Atkins um, when he's healthy, He was one of the premier defensive tackles in all of football, but I think those
0: days are no longer uh, there for Geno Atkins, and he's kind of uh, long in the tube now, so that's
4: why the Bengals were comfortable releasing him. so I said it right. (laughs) He's going to replace uh, Geno Atkins uh, at defensive tackle. And then uh, the fifth um, external free agent that the Bengals um, acquired is Riley Reese. Um, it, that was a, a bit of a surprise uh, because I thought the Bengals were going to put more of an emphasis on the
0: interior of their offensive line um, and get uh, perhaps a guard um, at either guard spot because
4: that is really, um, a, was a sore spot for the Bengals. Tackle was too, but guard primarily was, you know, really a position of weakness. And in fact, the play that Joe Burrow got hurt. It was because of interior pressure, um, and Joe Burrow ended up, as we all know, shredding his left knee. So, Riley Reapy he's going to play right tackle. We um, interviewed him in a Zoom press conference on Friday, and he announced that uh, the Bengals signed him aboard to be right tackle. And then, perhaps Jonah Williams is still going to stay at left tackle. So, that uh, makes for an interesting draft pick at number five for the Bengals, because I I've had in my draft board since the end of the season that the Bengals were targeting Panay Sewell. I still think that Panay Sewell is high on the Bengals draft board, if not at the top. Uh, but now they have a pretty—they're in a pretty good position to be in because they can draft perhaps the best player available at the number five pick, which could be a wide receiver, could be a tight end. Or could be an offensive lineman,
3: and you think that maybe there might be a little flexibility there because I believe is a Riley Reef's contract is the second year is completely voidable, um, so it's almost it's essentially a one-year deal for Riley Reef.
4: Yes, he signed a one-year deal. You're exactly right. So it's going to be interesting. If the Bengals um, opt to go tackle and uh, plug in Panay Sewell. If they draft Pene Sewell, he is going to start at tackle, and so that means the Bengals have three starting caliber tackles there. Uh, They could theoretically move Jonah Williams at to guard, but Zach Taylor has said, he said it yesterday, that Jonah Williams
0: is left tackle, Riley Reif is uh, right tackle. So maybe
4: he uh, threw out his cards for the number five pick and the Bengals actually um, get one of those uh, high-profile receivers, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, that – those are options. Kyle Pitts from Florida, uh, the tight end, that's another option at five. So it's going to be interesting
3: to see what the Bengals do with the number five overall pick. And you say wide receiver or, you know, even tight end with Kyle Pitts. Um, you know, I know a lot of fans are really hoping for the, you know, the hashtag going around do Day. Um, I bl- I don't, I'm not sure if he's still with the New York Giants or not, but uh, uh, I know Jay Morrison said that that ship kind of sailed on Kenny Galladay. That, that's more than likely not going to happen. Um, Do you have any updates on Kenny Galladay maybe uh, being intrigued by coming to Cincinnati or if he still wants to come play with Joe Burrow? Or, uh, you know, if it's more than likely, probably he's going to sign with the New York Giants.
4: Yeah, um, I've said all along that the New York Giants were the front runners to sign him. He is actually still in New York meeting with the team. Um, Not only the Bengals, but the Baltimore Ravens have
0: uh, called to express their interest in him. But I think that he is going to
4: end up signing with the New York Giants. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens um, before the end of the weekend.
3: And I believe it was about a one-year, $11 million contract from what I saw that they uh, put out to Kenny Galladay. But, you know, they could still use, you know, that's a lot of money that could use that for an interior offensive lineman. You said that you think they they still need to get an interior offensive lineman. Um, you know, are there any guys out on the open market still that you think the Bengals have interest in that they've been talking to? Um, or do you think they might try and target the interior in the draft?
4: I would like them to place a call with uh, Trey Turner, uh, the former Chargers guard. Used to be a Carolina Panther as well. Uh, he's still in the open market, a former pro bowler. He's getting a little older now, but he is an upgrade at that guard position. And he would be a nice fit in Cincinnati. He might be a little bit expensive for the Bengals but he's still in the open market for a reason so maybe if he brings his price number down um he can land to Cincinnati
3: but there are a few other teams interested in him too a former uh, multi-time pro bowler and it almost seemed that some people thought the Bengals would be hesitant about signing interior offensive line after uh in an article Jeff Hobson wrote that he thinks the best uh you know protector uh, on an interior you know interior offensive lineman um Do you think that the Bengals are basically trying to find the best bargain? Or, you know, basically what Jeff Hobson thinks is that Joe Mixon is there and Frank Pollock is there, that he could probably coach some of these guys up and they don't necessarily need to break the bank on a, you know, five-time Pro Bowler Trey Turner.
4: Uh, I don't think that the Bengals' offensive line is already set. Uh, You know, the
0: offensive line was a position group of weakness last year. Um, Joe
4: Burrow was sacked over 30 times. They couldn't really run the ball and not, and that's not just because Joe Mixon was hurt. That's because the offensive line was not creating any holes for uh, their running backs that were healthy. Mm-hmm. So if I were the Bengals GM, I say this all the time, I will continue to address that offensive line. I had Zach Taylor on my podcast last week and he said that that was, you know, a point of emphasis for the team this offseason, is shore up up front on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. They have kind of done that on the defensive side of the ball, uh, signing two defensive linemen. I don't think they're done there either, but they've only uh, acquired one offensive lineman. That was a tackle spot, which they didn't necessarily have to do at this point, but, Riley Reed is a productive player as a starter, so I can see why they did it, but I would still go after a guard, and you have some pretty good ones available. Trey Turner, like I was saying, uh, DJ Fluker, um, he can uh, be in the mix, so I would still address that guard position if I was Cincinnati Bengals GM.
3: And I'm going to circle back to the uh, Carl Lawson because, you know, obviously Zach Taylor said that they need to get better on both sides of the ball on the lines. Um, you know, you said you were surprised about Carl Lawson signing that, you know, three year agreement with the New York Jets. Was there a point in time where Carl Lawson was, you know, close to finishing a deal with the Bengals or was it, you know, he wanted to hold off? Obviously, I don't think he wanted the franchise tag. He kind of made that clear uh, when he talked to Paul Danner Jr., Um you know was there a point in time where he said okay we can work out a deal and then the jets just offered more money or was he saying no i just kind of want to hit for agency and see what i can get and then if nothing happens then maybe we'll talk about a deal he was talking to the Bengals all along and they were pretty close at getting a deal uh sources told me however uh the jets came calling they liked
4: um his ability as an edge rusher carl lawson liked the way he fits in their defensive system so they quickly emerged as a top candidate to land him um, my sources told me it was between the Bengals and the jets and he ultimately went ahead and signed a multi-year deal with new york
3: and you know carl lawson said a lot in his press conference that he really liked you know robert sala and his uh you know i think just the message that he preaches to the team and whatnot um, you know when the whole Carl or the Carlos Dunlap uh, situation happened this past season, Carl, Carl Lawson, you know he kind of came to bat for Carlos Dunlap and you know kind of supported him. Do you think there is any animosity between Carl Lawson and Lou Anarumo, or do you think there is um, you know any bad blood between the two, or him and Zach Taylor, maybe, or uh, you know maybe I'm just reading too much into that.
4: No, there, there's no animosity between them. Uh, Lou Anarumo actually said during his. Uh, press conference that, you know, he wishes Carl Lawson well. He was a productive player, did everything that they asked of him. Uh, there was no animosity. Carl Lawson really fit well in the Bengals' uh, defensive system um, and emerged when they traded Carlos Dunlap to the Seattle Seahawks, so there's no animosity at all. Gotcha.
3: And as far as Trey Hendrick, or Hendrickson, um, you know, was he someone that, you know, once Carl Lawson decided he was going to go to New York, that they thought, okay, we have to sign this guy or bust, or do you think that they were maybe interested in, interested in him prior to Carl Lawson leaving? They were interested in him. You know, you have to play your cards right in pre-agency. You have to have a plan A and a backup plan, a plan B, C, D, E, F, just in case your plan A does not work. And I do believe Carl Lawson was with your plan A, but then when... He signed with the New York Jets, who agreed. The Bengals quickly pivoted to Trey
0: Hendrickson, and they offered him, they even uh, up to Andy and offered him more cash after Carl Lawson left because they know that they need to address pass rushing. They finished last in the league in sacks uh, last. They know that pass rushing was a point of emphasis for them and it's the area that they have to improve upon if they want to get out of the AFC North Basement. Now, one
3: of the, you know, I think it was Justina you know, Anderson. I think, yeah, she said that they, the Bengals front office stepped up and met uh, Trey Hendrickson, and, you know, at a good price point for, you know, both sides. As far as the interior defensive line, obviously they're going to be getting DJ Reader back from injury. They signed Larry Ogunjobi. Um, behind them is a bunch of guys. It's, you know, Josh Chupo, Ronell Wren, who hasn't, you know, shown he could stay healthy. Josh Chupo obviously opted out. Um, You know, are they interested in bringing back a guy like Mike Daniels? Or are they still, you know, sniffing the open market, seeing what they might be able to find for a bargain?
4: I can see them bringing back uh, Mike Daniels. Uh, I know that the two sides have talked. Um, I do not know if it's close right now, but
3: there is some interest in them bringing back Mike Daniels in a short-term deal. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, as far as other free agents, you know, I don't, I don't mean to keep hammering the fact, you know, who do you think they're going to get? But, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, the question that a lot of people are asking now is who else is still out there that the Bengals might be able to get? I've heard, you know, Josh Reynolds thrown around a lot out there. I've seen, you know, maybe some other, uh, you know, T.Y. Hilton, some other smaller name or, uh, you know, cheaper wide receiver options. You know, are there any other options that Bengals have on the table right now that they might be trying to figure out a deal for?
4: Well, I can see them perhaps getting a lower tier wide receiver on the open market. Uh, I don't think it'll be T.Y. Hilton. Uh, in my opinion, T Y is still, um, one of the best receivers, uh, free agent receivers in the open market. You got Kenny Galladay, T Y Hilton, um, Antonio Brown still there. Sammy Watkins, maybe a guy like Josh Reynolds, Adam Humphreys would be a pretty good addition. Um, kind of replace Alex Erickson. Um, maybe even Deshaun Jackson. I know Deshaun Jackson is a little old, but he can still take the top off of the defense from time to time. Um, Golden Tate's there. Um, he's a little bit older, too, now, but I, I see the Bengals, if they're going to sign a free agent receiver, they're going to get um, one that's not at the top of everybody's list, because they're going to still command some money. I know their market has come down to the pack a little bit, but Um, The Bengals have spent money on defense and um, with the tackle
3: with uh, Riley Reef. So I don't see them breaking the bank again um, in free agency to sign another highly regarded receiver. Gotcha. You know, it's going to be a lot of stake stake money at Jeff Ruby's or the precinct wherever they're going to go if they're going to pay for all those guys uh, if they want (laughs) to take them there. Uh, Well, so far, you know, just from, you know, the five guys that they have signed, what would be your grade – you know, of the organization of the guys they've signed. What would you give them if it's not an A? What would uh, put that grade at an A? What would, what else would they have to do for these next
4: uh, this next week or so? I would give them probably a B. Um, for an A, they would have to somehow get Kenny Gall- Galladay um, and maybe Trey Turner at guard. That would put me over the top for an A. Um, but I think they make some. Quality moves, nothing that, you know, will dramatically change the team because they pretty much replaced a lot of guys that, um they lost. Mm-hmm. Trey Hendrickson for Carl Lawson, Shadobe for William Jackson. Gotcha. Mike Hilton for McKenzie. So it's, you're pretty much replacing what you lost the um, entire time. And in my opinion, Shadobe awuzie is not better than William Jackson.
0: Yeah. And Anderson isn't better than Carl Lawson. So
4: you g- got to step down. It's not that much of a step down, but it's a step down. Now, we'll see if uh, Riley Reef, I know a lot of people do not like Bobby Hart. <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, we'll see if Riley Reef is a better player um, in Cincinnati.
4: Um, that's probably, I will say, an upgrade. Um, and then, you know, Larry Ogunjobi. We'll see if he's going to be an upgrade from uh, probably 50 60 70% Geno Atkins. Now, that sounds crazy to say, but we all know if Geno Atkins is healthy, he's by far better than him. But Geno Atkins, I've heard many times from many people that they're afraid that his shoulder
3: just won't ever be the same again. So if that's the case, then he's probably not as good as Larry Ogadoby. And I can see that position being upgraded and adding him in the interior alongside of DJ Reader. So, the jury's still out. Yeah. Yeah. And talking about Bobby Hart, I know your colleague Ben Baby, he's actually you know, he said, you know, Bobby Hart didn't play too bad this past season. You know, I don't know why you guys are giving him such a bad rap and he's kind of getting dragged on Twitter a little bit by some of these fans for supporting him. You know, do you have the same opinion on Bobby Hart? Do you think that You know, maybe they should have kept him around for another year, or do you think it was time to move on from him?
4: Yeah, if you know, I was grading the Bengals' offensive alignment last year. Bobby Hart would not have been the worst one. Um, That title probably would have gone to um, Michael Jordan. Um, Bobby Hart was perhaps the second or third best offensive lineman on the Bengals last year. Jonah Williams, I would say, was number one. Um, then Trey Hopkins, then Bobby Hart. It was kind of a revolving door at both of those guard positions, but Michael Jordan really struggled last year. Xavier Suofilo was in and out of the lineup due to injury. Quinn Spain played okay at times, but then he was over his head a little bit because they were in <laughs> a position of influx and he was, you know, bouncing around the offensive line. So he didn't really have a fair chance. So to answer your question, yeah, I think it was a position because Bobby Hart, he's known for, um, you know, having bonehead mistakes at times, false starts, holdings over the years, and the Bengals signed him to a pretty sizable contract, and he didn't live up to the contract. And then when he gets called for holding or false starts, fans notice. Mm-hmm. And they he was the most penalized
3: offensive lineman than the Bengals in uh, 2019, and fans just got a little fed up with it. Yeah, it's uh, it's I, mean, I feel bad for the guys sometimes. You know, I say you didn't play terrible last year. You know, obviously every tackle has their moments, but uh, I think it could have been a lot worse. But uh, you know, I think definitely fans are happy to have Riley Reef in place of him. Well, one more question, Tyler. I just I just have to ask you. You know, I saw your your picture of you at Black Sheep performance with all the guys. <laughs> I know you're a former college athlete you know how how difficult was that or if it was even difficult at all to keep up with some of those nfl guys and you know what did you guys do while you're there what are some of the exercises and uh what was it like just being around all those guys during a training day
4: (laughs) well i'll say this i'm a little bit past my prime i haven't competed in track and field in a while uh since my college days and post-college for a couple years so I I can keep up a little bit, especially if I'm lifting weights. I'm still pretty strong, but when it comes to running, I'm not as fast as I was uh, before. Uh, but the uh, workout was great. Uh, Patrick Coyne, he's a really good trainer. There are a lot of Bengals that work out there over 20. Joe Burrell's training there. Uh, Sam Hubbard. Um, Drew Sample, I can keep on going on and on, but um, if you're in the Cincinnati area and you want a good training session, I highly recommend Black Sheep Performance, but don't just go if you're starstruck. You want to see Joe Burrow and everything. Yeah. And You're probably not going to see him because they're going to make sure that they're training at different times than the casual uh, person that's just going to go there to get a good workout in, but it was a good workout. I, I um, would recommend anybody going there. And I'm looking
3: forward to uh, my, my next workout from uh, Patrick Cohen. <laughs> and any of those guys, really? any of the Bengals players really stand out to you? Just insanely strong, or fast, or quick, or just really impressed you while you guys were working out? Well, I was kind of working out on my own with Patrick. So I wasn't paying too much attention to them. I, I, I see them um, often. So you know, I was just kind of doing my uh, own thing. Um, But, yeah, so I can't really answer that accurately. Gotcha. All right, Tyler. well, you know, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, you know, come on the show for a little bit. You know, I love your stuff. I read a lot of your stuff, and I really admire you as a uh, professional journalist, and I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work at uh, UC, and hopefully you can be
0: in my position or covering college, covering uh, pro uh, I know when I
4: was in school I did not have a podcast I did not write for a school paper until I think my senior year so this is
0: how as a, a college um person this a student this is how you you know you build up your portfolio
4: get experience so then when you graduate and hit the real world you can get a job uh like mine one day exactly yeah
3: that's the goal well, Tyler, thank you so much, and, uh, you know, hopefully maybe we'll get you on the show another time. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All
2: right, have a good one, man. Tyler Dragon. My
1: discussion with Tyler. Go ahead, Justin. You, you want to take it, Alex?
2: Oh, you, you can take it. You did the interview. Uh,
1: so there was my discussion with Tyler Dragon. He's been covering the Cincinnati Bengals since 2019, like I mentioned, for the Cincinnati Empire. And, you know, there was a lot to learn from Tyler, um, you know, an interview. I think one of the most surprising things that he had to say was how close the Bengals and Carl Lawson were to a long-term extension. Um, you know, you heard him say that the Bengals are interested in Trey Henderson the entire time, not just because they let Carl Lawson go, but that they were, you know, in contract talks for a long extended period of time. So, and you look at Trey and Carl's contracts; you kind of compare them. It's, except for some guaranteed money, it's almost the same amount uh, per year you got to wonder why Carl ultimately chose New York over Cincinnati. And I asked him, you know, was there any animosity between him and Loretta Rumo or maybe some animosity between him and Zach Taylor, just the organization as a whole? And he says, no, he says that actually they got along really well. I think Carl Lawson really liked Cincinnati, but, you know, I think he just liked New York a little bit more. For you, Alex, how surprised were you when you learned that Carl Lawson was going to go to the New York Jets and not come back um, to Cincinnati? And after hearing how close they actually were on contract, um, to a contract extension, you know, what, how does that, you know, affect your uh, thought
0: process on that?
2: Well, that was my first time, uh, Justin, hearing that with uh, Tyler Dragon. Well, I, I listened to the interview yesterday, and, and I was surprised then, too, of how close they were to a contract extension. Um, and then to hear Tyler Dragon say that Lou Anaru- there was no animosity between Lawson and Anna Rumo, it's kind of surprising to me to hear him say that, Um, or I wouldn't say, I shouldn't say surprising, but I wonder, you know, is Lou Anarumo saying there was no animosity because that's what he's supposed to say, so the media doesn't put a spin on uh, there potentially being some animosity? I'm not sure, but it really is surprising, Justin, because um, I remember it was a Monday night when it was March the 15th, so I'm at work um, producing for Lance McAllister Sports Talk. And uh, and then the John Brandon show happened, and then another show happened. And I remember, you know, seeing that Lawson was going to be re-signed. James Rapine thought, excuse me, from Sports Illustrated thought that at least Jesse thought that from All Bengals. And then literally right before nine o'clock, Carl Lawson goes to the Jets, and you're thinking, well, let me ask you this, Justin, what did you think the moment you saw Carl Lawson was going to the Jets? You know, I was kind of in the same
1: position as you. I was at work. And uh, oh, I, I don't know if you remember when we talked to Paul Danner Jr., when we had him on the show, that we, met, we had him make a prediction for if the Bengals were to bring back either Carl Lawson or William Jackson and let the other one walk. He said that he would um, assume that the Bengals were going to bring back Carl Lawson and let William Jackson walk. And now Tyler Dragging kind of had that same sentiment. He thought, okay, well, they're going to let Carl Lawson, or they're, they're going to resign Carl Lawson and let William Jackson walk. You know, obviously that interview was lit much later on after Carl Lawson decided he was going to New York. But obviously it was the same sentiment. You know, a lot of Bengals writers and reporters thought that was going to happen, that Carl Loss was going to be coming back. So when I was at work and I saw he was going to New York, I was taken back. I, I didn't know what to think. I was very surprised. You know, only about an hour later was it that we realized that Trey Hendrickson, the second leading uh, guy in, in the NFL last year, was coming to Cincinnati. Um, so I think that kind of made me feel a little bit better. But when I saw Carl Lawson was going to the New York, the New York Jets, I was I was pretty upset because Carl Lawson has been one of the most consistent pass rushers on the team, the best pass rusher on the team the last couple of years. Uh, and you know I think that the money that we would have given him, he, I think he got a three year, fifteen million annually from the New York Jets. I think we should have given him that money. I think that having him and Trey Henderson would have been huge. But um, I guess just getting Trey Henderson a replace and replacement of Carl Lawson is you know kind of lessens the blow in my opinion.
2: It definitely does lessen the blow, and maybe it was just the Bengals wanted to go in a different direction, and that's kind of something that Tyler alluded to in the interview you did with him. Because we heard LaCarl Lawson, okay, he liked what Robert Sala is going to to what Robert Sala is implementing in New York, and then Trey Hendrickson, which Tyler thinks is a better fit for Anarumo's three four system. Which, by the way, three four systems defensively, especially in our division. Don't really agree with it. But anyway, we look at what Trey Hendrickson has done the last um, four years. So the last four years, he was with the New Orleans Saints. And last year was without question his best year yet. 13 and a half sacks, but only 25 tackles. So that begged the question throughout the week of how important is the statistic of sacks? And is it the only statistic that should matter when analyzing a potential free agent. Well, I think it's a very important stat, Justin, because at the end of the day, you know, you can pressure a quarterback, you can, you know, hit a quarterback, whatever, but as we saw in the Super Bowl, man, if the receivers had caught the footballs Patrick Mahomes threw, I mean, mean, those pressures would have been for nothing. So the only way you ultimately get the quarterback to the ground and ensure that you create a negative play defensively, which is a positive for the defense, is by sacking the quarterback. And here's a guy who had 13 and a half sacks last year, which in of itself is an upgrade almost times two from Carl Lawson. So I like the signing of Trey Henderson and the fact that the Bengals reacted quickly. Remember when Andrew Whitworth left Justin? What the Bengals do? Nothing. And they were left For dead that season at that position, left tackle. This time, though, they lose a guy who maybe potentially was being viewed by some as part of the future, quote-unquote, core nucleus of the team. But he ultimately was not. But instead of just sitting around and doing nothing, the Bengals reacted. And they reacted in a good way by signing Trey Hendrickson. And
1: it's good that when Carl Lawson that he's going to go to New York, because they're going to replace him with arguably the best pass rusher on the market. Now that's up for debate, obviously. I think that you can't debate the fact that he had 13 sacks last season, Trey Henderson. Um, but you, we could argue all day about whether or not Carl Lawson or Trey Henderson is a better pass rusher. Yes, Trey Henderson had 13 sacks last season, and Carl Lawson only had five and a half, but I think a lot of people also heard. I heard this a lot on Twitter. I'm not sure how much I believe it, because I haven't watched a lot of film. I haven't watched a lot of... Um, you know, uh, people talking about this, but just uh, it's been a few things that I've seen on Twitter was that the only reason that Trey Henderson had that amount of sacks was because a lot of guys had to worry about double-teaming Cameron Jordan on the other side. True, I don't know. Um, and say it is true, say Cameron Jordan was getting double teamed. said that he was getting most of the uh, looks up. Yeah, Trey Henderson took advantage of, of his opportunities and got those 13 sacks. It's You don't get 13 sacks for being a bad pass rusher. You don't get 13 sacks because... Um, there's only one guy on you, you still get 13 sacks. You know, you're know, you saying basically that every guy that's had that amount of sacks in the NFL um, was only because there was another really great pass rusher on the opposite side. Now, I don't think that's true. I think Trey Hendrickson is a very, very good pass rusher. You just got to watch some of his highlights and realize how talented and skilled he is. Now, he is talented and skilled as Carl Lawson. That's up for debate. We'll see. Um, but at the end of the day, production is going gonna, gonna, gonna to be the thing that's going to win you games. Having that production, having those sack numbers... Um, you know, that's what's going to win you games. You know, you think about the pass rush last year. Yeah, Carl Lawson was constantly in the quarterback space, but that doesn't mean anything if you're not going to actually sack him. And he was the only pass rusher on the team. And, you know, as much as I would love to have a secondary guy who we actually might with Ryan Kerrigan, that's, you know, that's we're going to talk about that a little later, with Trey Hendrickson, um, you know, having Trey Hendrickson, bringing him in after Carl Lawson left is huge. And not only is it huge for... Uh, the defensive line that we, uh, you know, kind of you know, revamped and reloaded in the defensive line. I think Tyler also said it, that it was really good that, you know, with William Jackson leaving, it's really good that they brought in both Mike Hilton, Shadobi Awuzie, and then since that conversation, that was before the Eli Apple signing, who has had trouble in the NFL's first few years. He was a top 10 pick a couple of years ago. He's going to be really good depth for that corner room, because last year they were relying on Jalen Tavis and uh, Tony Brown as the cornerback sometimes. So having that depth Revamping at both those positions when those guys when their top guys leave is very 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 important. And so having those guys in the secondary and now Ricardo Allen who we brought in I believe yes, it was a yesterday or two days ago as a backup safety, it's just, it's just it's an insurance policy. You know, if one of those guys, if Trey Wayne goes down, if Darius Phillips goes down, if one of those guys go down, you're going to have more guys uh, behind them that can step up and play. Now that's, yeah. that's going to be huge.
0: Now,
2: I don't know if we have that depth on the defensive line right now, but that's something that they really need to focus on as free agency continues, in my opinion. Okay, so, uh, by the way, a few side notes. Um, uh, From what Tyler Dragon mentioned, obviously, we know Kenny Galladay went to the New York Giants, that went down Sunday. We know Bobby Hart is now, has been released from the team. We also know that T.Y. Hilton has re-signed with the Colts for a one-year deal, and Josh Reynolds recently signed with the Tennessee Titans. So those receivers were off the board. Adam Humphreys, another guy Tyler mentioned. He is still, I believe, on the market. So that's another potential signee for the Bengals. Um but Justin, I'm looking at the sack leaders from last year. And the number one leader in Sacks, if let me if you had to guess who the number one leader in Sacks was, who would you say? I
1: think last year, probably la who was it last year?
2: I'll give you a I'm hint. I'm
1: my head. I would say probably like Shaquille Barrett or
2: Aaron Donald. You're rolling on both. The leader in sacks last year was TJ Watt at 15. Um, Aaron Donald was second with 13 and a half. Tied for second with Aaron Donald was Trey Hendrickson. But I'm looking at these sack leaders. And you want to talk about, you know, is, are sacks the only important stat here? Yes. Because TJ Watt only had 53 total tackles last year. But he makes up for it by his ability to get after the quarterback, which is the only way to ensure on the defensive side that you allow the offense a neg- that you give the offense a negative play. Hassan Reddick from the Arizona Cardinals last year had only 63 tackles. Sedarius Smith had 52. Miles Garrett only had 48 tackles last year. And we revere him as one of the best, if not the best, pass rusher in the league. Leonard Williams had 11 and a half sacks, only 57 total tackles. Uh, Stephon Tuitt at 45, Leonard Floyd at 55, Romeo Okwara had 44. The point here is this: yes, sacks matter when you consider that these defensive linemen don't have many tackles overall to begin with. It's the linebackers who you should linebackers who should be tackling the most. Okay, well maybe not. Maybe in theory it should be defensive linemen since they're the closest to the football, but really the linebackers are the ones who tackle the most. So, at the end of the day, of course sacks matter, because you have to make up for your lack of total tackles with your ability to get after the quarterback, and that's what Trey Hendrickson did, and think about this, Justin, last year he faced twice each, Matt Ryan and Tom Brady, two future, one definitely a Hall of Famer, I think another one who will be a Hall of Famer one day, uh, and, and Brady and Ryan, and then you think about going up against Drew Brees in practice every day, and you think about the, the Saints offensive line, Guys like Teron Armstead, Larry Warford, and you think about their offensive line as a whole, one of the better ones in the league. He went up against that every day in practice, every single week. He went out now, obviously you don't want to hit the quarterback in practice, especially one like Drew Brees, who became fragile throughout the end of his career, but still the fact that he played in on a team and practice every day with that kind of offensive line and quarterback, and played against two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks in this own division last year and still put up the productive numbers that he actually did. That is why this is a very, very good signing, and they got him when they did. And you, you pair him with Sam Hubbard, again, getting younger on the defensive line. You know, it wasn't that long ago, Justin, where we re-signed, the Bengals front office re-signed, and at the time it was an okay move, maybe even good, they re-signed Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap to contract extensions. Well, guess what? They're both no longer here. Now you have young guys up front in Hubbard, in Hendrickson, and Larry Ogunjobi, and then if DJ Reader can stay healthy, Christian Covington, if he's coming back, Josh Dupoe, if he comes back after opting out because of COVID-19 last year, Renell Wren, if he can stay healthy, there is now depth on this defensive line. This is the one thing the Bengals have done so far in free agency. They, have, they haven't beefed up the offensive line outside of the Great Barrier Reef and Riley Reef. Okay, fine, maybe not fine to some. I will say this, though. They, their lack of pass rush last year and their inability to cover particularly one-on-one or against receivers who were tall, athletic, strong, whatever it may be, they now have depth at those positions to bring multiple bodies at an opposing quarterback. And in our division, you better get after the quarterback because they will light up opposing defenses if you don't. And that goes for other teams when they played the Bengals with Joe Burrow. And that's why... You know, this division prides itself, every single team, except the Bengals, recently at least, on being driven through their offensive and defensive lines to get after the quarterback and protect the quarterback. And then, uh, this position is not known for its skilled players as much as it is up front with the offensive linemen and pass rushers, but still, it is nice to have very good skill players, and if you're the Bengals, you now have the ability... If Like you said, if if Phillips goes down, Derry Phillips goes down, or, I don't know, Trey Waynes goes down again, you can throw multiple bodies in your secondary to cover receivers. That is a huge bonus and in insurance policy, as you said, for this team.
1: And you also have to think about, even though they reloaded those positions, yes, they reloaded, but you have to ask, who they reload it with, and how old are they? You think about the guys that they replaced William Jackson with. Okay, Mike Hilton, 27. Uh, Shinobi Wussier, 25. I believe Eli Apple was also 26. That is youth right there because William Jackson, when he finishes contract with the Washington football team, he's going to be on the opposite side of thirty. Now, I don't think the Bengals really wanted to sign him to that contract. I don't think they're ever really engaged in contract uh, discussions as Paul and uh, Tyler both mentioned and shows that would come with them. So reloading with the guys who are – a few years younger, and by the time they're done with the contracts with the Bengals are still going to be 30 or younger, I mean, that's huge, because youth is one of the most important things you can have in the NFL. Trey Henderson, he's only 26. People forget that he's the same age as Carl Lawson. He's only going to his fifth year, and uh, I think that he's on the up-and-coming, he's on the rise, Um, and so youth is going to be a huge uh, factor for this team, you know, going into uh, as a continue in free agency I and mean, their oldest free
0: agent is uh, Riley Reek, who I believe is going to turn 32 in December Larry Ogunjobi
1: he's 26 pairing him with DJ Reader is going to be huge because a lot of people thought DJ Reader and Geno Atkins that was going to be the duo for the next few years to come obviously they released Geno Atkins who was on the opposite side of 30 who had a nagging shoulder injury um, they're going to replace him with a guy in Larry Joby who's had a solid career with the Browns he's a very good run stopper um, and a pretty solid pass rusher too and he's only 26 so um you know, reloading at position at the uh, positions that you need, but also reloading with guys who are youthful, youthful who are young and who can make a lot of plays. And you know, when they're finished with their contracts, they're still going to be, um, you know, still pretty young.
2: You know what else I'm looking at? So Hendrickson only had one forced fumble last year, and that got me thinking. This here's another reason why sacks are so important because off because turnovers. On a defensive side, and it's a team stat, they fluctuate year to year. Look at Jacksonville in 2017. They were great at forcing turnovers, but the one concern going into the following year was turnovers is a stat that fluctuates. It varies. You don't get the same amount of turnover production year after year unless you're the Baltimore Ravens. So in that regard, it's important to have guys who can get to the quarterback and bring him down. Because that's the because if you're not turning the ball over, you need to get defensive stops. You need to put opponents in second and long and third and long. This is why football is such an intense game. Every single minute detail matters. And for Trey Hendrickson to have 13 and a half sacks despite only forcing one fumble, I can live with that because he makes up for it with his ability to get to the quarterback consistently. In 15 games last year, he had 13. And a half sacks. That right there is enough for me. And one sack per game for a team that didn't have a lot last year. Listen, this is an upgrade to me if I'm the Bengals with Trey Hendrickson. Now you also mentioned, and I, I, that was the other player. I I, I forgot because they've signed so many players. Eli Apple coming over from Carolina. I mean, he's played on what now uh, four different teams. The Bengals will be his fourth team. Hasn't really found a home in the NFL yet. I think about Ricardo Allen, he was a part of an Atlanta secondary that experienced a resurgence uh, under Dan Quinn when he was the head coach. Um, I think about um, Chidobia, I, These are These are players who have proven to be household names, and the Bengals are now targeting them. We've seen with Cincinnati, they're playing this free agency period like they're a small market franchise, okay? The Bengals don't have as much money as the Patriots or the um or the Rams or the Chargers or any other large market team what have you. But what they but what they're playing is okay. And this is a humongous advantage that the Bengals have over a lot of other teams in the league. The Bengals have the advantage of okay, we know who our quarterback is in Joe Burrow. We have, a number, we have a number one wide receiver. We have a very good number two wide receiver. We also have a very good running back. They are, I wouldn't want to say completely set at the skill player position, but they're adequate at it, okay? So then they can figure out, okay, let's um, target areas where we know we need to address. Like corner, like uh, even adding insurance policy to the safety room, like... Um, you know, right tackle. What's the point of the offensive line, Justin, that you've made about guards and tackles that you made earlier this season or this off season?
1: That great tackle play can accommodate for good guard play, but terrible guard play uh, can accommodate for, or, uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying, that great tackle play can accommodate for good guard play, but uh, great
2: guard play can accommodate for decent or lackluster tackle. Okay. So that right there, even though I would say, and you would agree with me, Tyler would agree with us, anybody who covers the Bengals would agree with us, that the weakness of the Bengals offensive line was in the interior, because that is what got Joe Burrow killed in week 11. It was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, by the way, missed about 20 blocks in pass protection last year, aka not good, but the most important positions on the offensive line Are the bookends left tackle and right tackle, and for Tyler and for um, excuse me Zach Taylor to come out and say that the starting left that the starting tackles are Jonah Williams at left tackle, which I'm all in on with a little caution and skepticism, excuse me, and Riley Reiff to be the right tackle, which I'm all in on. It's a it's a um what's the word I'm looking for? It's a turn a new page. Practical, practically on upgrade from Bobby Hart, please. But the interior still needs to be figured out. If you have great tackle play, it can make up for lackluster interior play. But it's still important to have great interior alignment. Because what's going to happen when you face a strong pass rush in the interior? I mean, think about in our division alone. Think about who the Ravens have. Think about, well, the Browns don't have now Larry Oak, and Joby. But when you face any team that you can think of that has a strong interior pass rush and you need guys and those guys the interior most of your run plays are probably going up the middle well you need them to block right now one thing that um Zach Thierry did mention if he knows who your starting tackles are doesn't that make you think that they're not going to draft pinay Sewell it's hard to say um
0: you know, I've heard that the Bengals seem to be going in the direction. I, I think it was from Jay
1: Morrison on uh, Hear That Ground on podcast with uh, Paul Daner Jr. that he said the Bengals seem to be trying to eye Jamar Chase in the drafts, so which, you know, if I'm done, that's great, because think about the depth behind Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, none really, but, you know, Penae Sewell obviously is a generational uh, pass blocker and offensive tackle, and, you know, I, I think they already have their tackle set, and so... Tanei Sewell comes in. Tyler said that they draft Tanei Sewell, that he's going to be a starting tackle, but well, maybe think about playing him a guard. I, I, don't, I don't really know because Tanei Sewell has shown that he wants to play a tackle. He doesn't want to play a guard. So, you know, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting to think about whether or not uh, they want to draft Tanei Sewell because they could go in so many ways because they need to have you know, basically every position on the offense. So, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see.
2: Not only that, but I was also thinking this. If you're not going to draft Pene Sewell, which a lot of fans I don't think would like I think a lot of fans would would lose their minds if they didn't. if Pene Sewell is still available at number five, which in all likelihood he will be, I think. But if they don't draft Pene Sewell, do you trust Frank Pollock? and I think you can, that he can develop the offensive linemen that are currently here. Quinn Spain, Michael Jordan, please—if he's—if he's, if he's even—if he's not a lost cause already, um, Billy Price even, Alex Redmond, whoever it is, do you trust Frank Pollock to develop these offensive linemen? And I think you can obviously trust him a lot more than the former offensive line coach Jim Turner. I think you can trust Frank
1: Pollock. You know, you think back to 2018 when Billy Price uh, was primarily the starter at center. That was his best season that he's had. And then Frank Pollock leaves. Billy Price loses his job. He doesn't play nearly as well. And now he's back. And, you know, Trey Hopkins, he's rehabbing from an ACL injury. Bailey, maybe Billy Price steps in and plays really well because Frank Pollock coached him up the exact same way that he did in 2018. He plays very well because of the scheme. They, You know, he'd already said that they're going to run a wide zone scheme run scheme. Uh, which is really fitting to uh, Billy Price's game. Um, so, you know, I, I trust him. I really like the re-signing of Clinton Spain. I think that he's a very good starter in the NFL, both with Tennessee, Buffalo, and now Cincinnati. You know, but I think they still really need to bring in a guy at right guard, uh, even if Frank Pollock is a guy that can coach up some of these guys, like Xavier Suofilo, Billy Price, Michael Jordan, Alex Redman. Uh, you know, we'll see. You know, I've heard a lot of reporters say the Bengals have a plan. You know, they they know what they're doing, but um, you know, as as much as, as much as a coach can, you know, coach up a player, it still doesn't matter if the player isn't very good to start off with. So, yeah. uh, you know, while I do trust Zach Taylor and Frank Paul, could just—I I really would like to see them bring another guy at right guard, or at least just bring in someone that can challenge David Siofilo or, or challenge Clinton Spain for the starting job
2: at guard. Okay, so where, where I think you're leading to, and where I'm getting to in my own head is this. You have some guys in the room. Because my thing is this. As long as Michael Jordan does not start week one, that's a sign of, okay, I can feel at least okay about Joe Burrow if he's starting then. You have enough guys in the room to ensure that Michael Jordan is not starting. I mean, because Michael Jordan's not an NFL offensive lineman, let's be honest. But, and that's interesting we bring up Billy Price playing center. Because I think if I'm not mistaken, Trey Hopkins has played guard before. Okay. So maybe Trey Hopkins kicks to left guard. Billy Price is your center. You still need a starting right guard. But then you have four of your five offensive linemen set. And I feel somewhat good about that. Now, Billy Price, I still have questions about. Can he run block? You know, can can he protect Joe Burrow? Um... Against strong interior guys, because I saw him get killed by Fletcher Cox in Philadelphia last year. Um, there are some questions, but I will say this: um, if Frank Paula can somehow, you know, reignite the promise that Billy Price brought here when he was drafted in 2018, that's a good thing. You have Quinn Spain, Xavier Suafilo, two guys who have proven they are adequate starters in the league. And then that way, you ensure Michael Jordan, and I'm not trying to, you know, um, hammer him down or anything, you know, but let's face it, he's not a starting offensive lineman in this league. There's no way in hell he is. So, there are guys on this team and on this roster to ensure that he's not starting week one. And you're rolling out a five-player offensive line, of course, that ensures Joe Burrow is going to be protected. So we got about three minutes to go. Um, I think we've hit on a lot of the key points that Tyler brought up there in that interview. I mean, it, and that was a great interview that you two had um, regarding the Bengals and their activity in free agency. And it's still not done yet, Justin. We are five weeks away, precisely, from the NFL draft. At this stage, who's your number one choice for the Cincinnati Bengals that you want them to draft?
1: Uh, As we sit here right now, um, you know, it doesn't really sound like they're going to really target the interior offensive line and free agency. Um, You know, I think they're kind of done with offensive line and free agency, especially after hearing them go after guys like Ryan Kerrigan, who uh, is probably going to demand a uh, pretty nice contract, whether it's a one-year, two-year, three-year, after as being the leading all-time sack leader in Washington history, you know, he's going to get a good contract, so I don't think they're going to really have any money to spend on the offensive so going to the draft, yes, Tenay Sewell would be it would be the good choice. It would be the right choice, and it'd be the most uh, you know obvious choice. But for me personally, I think I would love to have Jamar Chase on the team. After seeing you know what he was able to do with Joe Burrow in their uh, last season at LSU, I just don't think that you could really pass up on a guy like Jamar Chase to make this offense the most elite offense in the entire NFL. Tyler Boyd and T Higgins are two guys who have proven that they can do it at the highest level. But, like I mentioned earlier, if one of them goes down, who's going to be behind them? Mike Thomas, Auden Tate, Stanley Morgan? I mean, those are three guys who are really unproven for the most part. Uh, So getting a guy like Jamar Chase in in this offense would just put it over the top. Now you're saying, okay, we can score 30-plus points every single game, or we're going to force the other team to have to score that many points. And you know it's going to be the one of the most elite offenses in the NFL if they get Jamar Chase, pair him with Joe Mixon uh, in the backfield, and then CJ Uzama under simple at tight end. You know I think this offense could be unstoppable. Uh, so Jamar Chase would be the pick that I really want, but I think the most obvious and uh, correct choice would be Pene Sewell.
0: Uh, I think Jamar Chase is kind of more of a just a fun yeah. pick for
2: me. Got about thirty seconds. I'll agree with you. My number one option right now is Jamar Chase, but. You are running a risk with your offensive line if you don't draft Panay Sewell. Hopefully Frank Pollock can get the offensive line uh, beefed up and set to go for the season. Uh, 17 seconds to off the air. Justin, you want to sign us off real quick? Uh, I think that was
1: I think that was it. Uh, this is the BearCast Media Bengals podcast. I'm Justin Cashman. He is Alex Frank. Thank you so much for listening. We should come back to you about next week. Look forward to talking to you.